Do you feel stuck and unmotivated? Want to create your dream life but don't know where to begin? If you're interested in improving your relationships, communication skills, or feeling more comfortable in your skin, I can help. Together we can determine what's holding you back from living your best life and help to quiet that negative Nancy residing in your head. If you've been interested in working with a coach who is optimistic and authentic and empowers you to be as well, then schedule your free 30-minute chemistry session today by going to empoweredauthenticity.net. Again, that's empoweredauthenticity.net. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the very first episode of Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. I am so incredibly excited to have you here uh, on this journey where I don't know where it will lead me, but I I'm extremely excited. And I hope that I will bring you a lot of very interesting voices from all kinds of walks of life who uh, live the entire philosophy of living empowered and authentic lives and empowering others to do the same. Um, So we've got some great guests. Uh, We are going to have some people that you maybe know and maybe don't know. And I'm, I'm just so incredibly grateful to have found these individuals to have had them sign off on all of my tom fuckery and to um just impart some fabulous relatable wisdom on us um so yeah this is really exciting um i hope that someday I will be able to to have somewhat of a better setup. Uh, I'm currently recording in my closet, which is not super comfy. Um, but, you know, we work with what we've got for right now. Um, and we'll see what, what comes of it. So this year, I mean, really, these past, like, 18 months have seemed just like a fucking dumpster fire. Um, I, I can think of no better phrase. And it's so interesting to me that we think that we uh, are, are getting ahead of things and things are looking better and then we get smacked right back down. So hopefully this podcast will bring some uh, light into your life. And also we're going to talk about some things that may not be the most comfortable um, because that's kind of what life is. It's all a balancing act of you take the good and you take the bad and there you are. You have the facts of life. Uh, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm incredibly excited for this journey, so I hope that you, uh, likewise, will get something out of it. <laughs> a little bit about me, for those of you who don't know, I am your host, Kelly Chopa. I am a confidence coach, and I am the founder of Empowered Authenticity. Um, so I have a bachelor's degree in nutrition. And I was working a super cushy job, uh, making $85,000 a year with fantastic benefits, um, health insurance, like the whole, the whole shit and shebang. And uh, I decided that I was going to do this fucking crazy thing during a pandemic and uh, quit my job to start my own business. And that's exactly what I did. Uh, and it is terrifying and amazing and and all of the things. Um, I, I don't fully know what I'm doing, um, but I'm super excited to learn to see where this journey takes me. And I don't regret um, at all that, that I've made this decision. Um, and that's not to say that I regret my, my former job either. I think that 
my experiences have really culminated and made me who I am today. So I'm super grateful for everything that I've encountered, even the really fucking hard shit. And there has been some really fucking hard shit, um, which I'm sure we will get into. But all that to say, this is what I'm doing now. Um, So this podcast is meant to be a companion for those who I'm already working with. And, you know, maybe for people who aren't ready to work with me yet, it's an opportunity to learn a bit about me and my style and what I really value. Um, Or, you know, it might just be the little little bit of uh, humanness that you need in your day in a world that is often... Um, very, very rigid and and corporate and doesn't really take um, the human part of everything into account. So, um, but anywho, uh, we have our very first guest today and I am so, so incredibly honored and privileged to call this person my best friend. She is so fucking brilliant. She is incredibly smart, um, incredibly talented, She is empathetic and audacious and tenacious, and she is truly, truly, truly one of the most beautiful people inside and out, and I don't know what I would do without her. Um, She was my first friend when I moved to to Madison, and I will forever be grateful that um, we ended up in the same Aquafit class. Um, She is currently getting her master's in public health at George Washington University in Washington, D.C. She is a a fierce advocate for equality for all um, and is really interested in um, women's rights as well as LGBTQIA plus health and health equity. And so we have a fantastic conversation. Um, around all of that and around her work with social justice and also public health. She runs the Instagram account PubHexplained. Um, so you, I've linked to that in the podcast description. We also mentioned it again later in the podcast. Um, so I highly recommend uh, following her on Instagram. Um, but please, everybody give a wonderful, warm welcome to my absolute best friend and Jewish junior Olympian, I know uh, she doesn't want to talk about that, but uh, really we need to brag about it because I think it's the most amazing fact about her, <laughs> and there are many. Uh, but everybody, please give a very warm welcome to my dear, dear friend, Miss Rachel Freer. Rachel, thank you so much for joining me on my new podcast, Empowered Authenticity, the podcast. How I'm, are you? I'm good, and I'm super happy to be here. I don't know why we're talking like newscasters. I don't know why either. Like one of us is getting ready to talk about the weather. <laughs> uh, this is one of the drawbacks of uh, bringing your your best friend and soulmate on on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> they don't that they don't talk about. Um, but I I could think of nobody better to have on my first episode than. Uh, somebody who is my best friend and one of my soulmates, uh, mostly because I know that you're not going to judge me and you're going to think that whatever I put out is is a great effort. And I appreciate that so much. Uh, granted, I just think you're an awesome human being. You're one of the most empathetic individuals that I know. And I think that you're a fucking badass and a hot Jewess. Um, and so I'm super, super stoked that you agreed to this nonsense. I mean, I don't 
ever not agree to your nonsense. Let's be real. It's true. That's and it's uh, part of what I really appreciate about you. And like, I was thinking about it uh, actually just a few moments ago when I was in the shower. And uh, yeah, sometimes I think about you in the shower. Like, just just <laughs> think about that. <laughs> um. <laughs> But I was thinking, like, like you were really, like, one of my first unofficial clients. Like, I was just being myself and doing my thing and having an impact without even trying. And so, like, you're one of the reasons that I was like, oh, I should do this thing. Like, I should, I should help others, like, grow in the areas of their life that they want to work on. So uh, I'm glad that you were essentially a guinea pig without knowing it. Wow. That, honestly, the way you just put that, I was like, hmm, that's, that's good. I mean, I'm glad. Honestly, I'm happy to be the guinea pig because it worked out really well for me. <laughs> I mean, it started out as just a, just a friendship, um, albeit an aggressively made one. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, it was just like, like it gave, it gave me the confidence to give other people confidence, I guess. So I was the ultimate confidence coach. You were the, yeah, yeah. I coached you into confidence to be a confidence coach. This is correct. One might say we coached each other. Mm, this is pretty meta. This, this is why we're soulmates. <laughs> uh, so I alluded to this, but I want to um, hear in your words about how we became friends. Because you were one of the first friends that I made when I moved to Madison and it was completely unexpected on my end. Uh, so please, from, from your point of view, tell us what happened. I like that you say from, from my point of view and in your own words as though it would be anything else. <laughs> but, so I, uh, I went to Aquafit very regularly. Um, Aquafit is water aerobics. Just, just for all the listeners out there who may not know. Um, it's, very fun. Yes, there are a lot of old ladies there. Yes, I am a 27-year-old woman. I'm just gonna leave that there. Um, so, I had been going to Aquafit with one of my other friends, and then um, they had something come up, so I was going by myself. And, I mean, it was still enjoyable to go by myself. No, I didn't have anyone to gossip with in the pool, but, you know whatever. And then one day I'm, I'm, you know, going to Aquafit as I normally do. And I spy this lady and she looks like she's about my age. And I was like, Oh, and then I was like, I'm a befriend her. <laughs> because Rachel is the most aggressive <laughs> friend maker ever. But like, okay. Everyone can relate to the fact that they've seen a human and they're like, I want that person to be my, my friend. They might not act upon it, <laughs> but everyone can relate to the feeling of there's this random person in my life and I want them to be my friend. Just not everyone acts upon it. I happened to act upon it. And I appreciate that about you. Like, I know I joke about I joke about that with you a lot. And, like, kind of give you shit for it. But, like, there are so many people who have trouble making friends as an adult. And, like, you're just out here doing it willy-fucking-nilly. <laughs> like, 
Like, it's nobody's goddamn business. And I appreciate that. Like, you want to know how to make friends as an adult? Go talk to Rachel. <laughs> oh, that's, wow. <laughs> it's, like, high praise, honestly. I was, like, I actually needed that because I've been feeling, like, I, for, for all the listeners out there, I moved to Washington, D.C. less than a year ago. Um, yeah. yeah, I left Kelly. She was very upset with me. Um, and now I live, I, I live in Virginia, but I did move to Washington, D.C. Um, but general DMV area. And I feel like I've been struggling to, like, make friends. And so, you know, just thanks for, you know, boosting me up a little bit. Um and I also just needed a reminder that I'm not doing that bad, given that we were in a pandemic and uh, just moved to a new place. So takes well, takes some time. I, I hear stories about you being with friends all the time. Like, yeah, I won't say their names on here because I think that would be inappropriate without their <laughs> consent. Um, but like you have friends. I know. It just like takes time to build up like the like really solid like. I could call you in any situation. I'm stuck in this dress that I ordered online and can't get out of it. I need you to come over and help me out of it. Yes, this did happen recently. Yes, I did manage to get out of it on my own and did not need to call anybody. But if I did need to call somebody, I don't know who I would have called. So. You got to get yourself a really good neighbor. Yeah. It's really, really what I need. So anyway. If anyone is in the in the DMV and, and wants a wants a friend, hit me up. I guess it's more likely that I'll hit you up, but you know. <laughs> but anyway, I decided I was gonna befriend Kelly. And so I don't know, the details to me get a little bit hazy, but I remember talking to Kelly in the pool and like introducing myself and being like, Hey, I come here all the time. And then I was like, at some point, and I can't remember if it was in the pool or in the locker room, I was like, I basically just said, like, we should hang out sometime or, like, something along those lines of, like, if you ever need a buddy, like, yep. happy, to, <laughs> happy to oblige. And, uh, yeah, I was, you know, I felt, I felt okay about it. Kelly said she was going to come back to Aquafit the next week, and I was like, okay. And then I got into the car and I called my mom and I was like, I made a new friend today. <laughs> I was like, she doesn't know it yet, but we're going to be friends. <laughs> and then and like you were gone the following week. I was gone for like a month because I was on vacation. And mm -hmm. then I came back and Kelly was there. It was magical. <laughs> I, like, thought for sure that, like, Kelly was not going to come back, and I was going to be really sad about it, but I came back, and you were there, and I was like, okay, I need to figure out how to do this, <laughs> and then she didn't talk to me the whole class, the whole class, and I was like, oh, no, did I do something to offend her? Did she not like me? And then I think, I don't know how it happened, but we, like, started talking at the end of the class. And I was like, oh, no, we're back on. We're going to be friends. <laughs> and that's really the start of our friendship. But yeah. Kelly has her own version of this that she likes to tell. Yes, I do. So so my version of the story goes a little something like this. Um, it I was going to um, different fitness classes uh, to see, you know, which ones I liked, which ones I 
I wanted to go to more. And uh, the the Aquafit, I was like, huh, this sounds like it could be fun. It was basically like, do exercises in water instead of on stupid land. And I was like, absolutely, I want to do this. Um, <laughs> so I went. And uh, Rachel was late to class because Rachel's always late. <laughs> like, uh, like I can think of maybe like three times when Rachel has been on time. Um, and they've been very impressive. So you've <laughs> set quite the standard. <laughs> but I'm in there. I'm in the pool. And also, I'm not a very strong swimmer. And I'm going to this AquaFit class. Um, and uh, I see Rachel while I'm in the pool. And I just think, oh, she looks to be about my age. And she looks to have red hair. And we will debate this until the day we die. <laughs> my hair is blonde (laughs) to me it looks red like (laughs) i might i might have some kind of like vision problem i i know i have a vision problem that's why i wear contacts but (laughs) and i'm like okay so i see this like cute redheaded girl who's about my age who has a butt like is sent from the fucking gods like cannot believe in this cute swimsuit and i'm like oh this is nice (laughs) but i'm like i'm in the pool my hair is up i am in my swimsuit i'm not about to like try to make friends and like i'm an introvert anyways so i'm basically just like trying to get through my day with as little human contact as possible and rachel just paddles over to me and she goes, hey, is this your first time here? <laughs> and I said, yes. And, uh... <laughs> and we had a lovely chat. And um, then I remember we went to the locker room. And yes, that's, uh... and you were being so modest. You were like changing under your towel. Meanwhile, I'm like, full bush like just letting it all hang out like having a conversation with you (laughs) and you said oh yeah if you ever need a buddy just you know let me know (laughs) now the part where this gets very funny is that i went home to my boyfriend at the time and i said i think i just made a new friend today She's a cute redheaded girl with a huge butt, and she's so nice. <laughs> and I was so proud of myself. <laughs> and then, and then you were gone for a month. <laughs> and every day after Aquafit, I would come home and say, "My cute redheaded friend wasn't there today." <laughs> But then one day, you did come back. But I was like, she's not going to remember who I am. (laughs) She's not going to remember that she offered to be my friend. (laughs) And also, you didn't wear your glasses in the pool. And you also didn't wear your contacts. So you were constantly squinting. And you looked rather pissed off. (laughs) Which I would be too if I couldn't see. So I didn't say anything until you approached me and you were like, were you here like a month ago? 
I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I remember you. Like, trying to play it cool when really I'm like, please love me. <laughs> and then from there, it was just like, we were off to the fucking races. Like, we were cracking each other up in the pool. We got, we rallied the troops and we all went to happy hours. Like, we were, we were unstoppable. And you, you fed into my bullshit every single time. All the goddamn time. I'm like, I'm getting the sequin outfit and we're going out. And you're like, okay, I'll take pictures. Like, <laughs> just nonsense. And I'm so fucking here for it. Honestly, I don't know how that story, one, never ceases to crack me up. But also, like, new details come out every time. And also, I just, like, I don't know. It just never gets old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm very happy to amuse you <laughs> you always do <laughs> thank you uh yeah so we became uh great friends and then you left me to go to uh washington dc uh now virginia um i felt a little bit abandoned but i was also always still very happy for you because uh i think that you're doing super super cool work um and anybody who is subscribed to my newsletter knows that I featured your Instagram account uh, in the July issue. And uh, I was hoping that you would tell us a little bit about what it is you're doing, what you're going to school for, why you're going to school for it, and and what you hope to accomplish with your um, accounts and uh, just in general. Because yeah. I think it's cool as shit. That was like a bit like... That question is just like, I could talk about this for probably <laughs> easily like hours on end. Well, so. we're going to have you back. I keep okay. saying we like I have a co-host. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to make my cats unofficial co-hosts. That seems that seems reasonable. I mean, Victor, Victor and Ridley exactly. seem like they would be good co-hosts. Uh, they would be terrible because they just constantly be like, mom, give me treats. But, but if you I gave them treats, they'd be fine. Yeah, but then I just have to keep giving them treats, and so they wouldn't be doing any podcasting, really. They'd just be eating. What do you think cats do? Um, provide me with emotional comfort and entertainment, of course. That's how they earn their keep here. That's, that's fair. <laughs> sounds sounds blonde brand for them. Um, so anyway, back to the question. <laughs> so, the reason I abandoned Kelly... It's not just for a, a willy-nilly, uh, you know, I'm just going to move to the DMV. Um, I am in grad school for public health. And my my journey to getting there really uh, have to go way back into the, the archive of being a, I think I was a junior in college. And I was very um, focused on my duties as a resident assistant and really wanted to be able to provide as much support to my residents as possible. And so when I was offered the opportunity to um, take a training on how to support survivors of sexual assault um, or relationship violence, um, I was like, oh, that this is, this could help me like be better basically. And so I decided, I decided to take it. And 
I think it was the second workshop. We started to talk about um, what the definition of, of sexual assault was. And it, it dawned on me um, that I had previously um, had an experience that fell into that category. And it, it kind of turned my life upside down um, because it was realization of a trauma that I didn't know I had. Um, and I really did a lot of soul searching and um, research and investigation and, and really ended up wanting to help other survivors of sexual assault. And so I applied to our, uh, we had a, a fifth year program at Carnegie Mellon, which is where I went to undergrad. Um, that was called the fifth year scholars program. And you could apply and um, essentially study things academically that interested you and do a community impact project. And so originally my community impact project was going to be a support group for survivors of sexual assault. And I, I ran into a lot of barriers and it kind of dawned on me that providing su support for survivors is really important. Um, but a lot of what they need really is one-on-one -on -one therapy with a licensed counselor. And really what I should be focusing efforts on is prevention. And this will be a, a nice theme that we'll come back to. But um, so what I ended up deciding to do instead was create a showcase um, of different art pieces, both performance and, um, like, uh, you know, regular art, like paintings and shit <laughs> and photography. I was trying to visual art. I was like, <laughs> I had a word for this. Um, so I, that was my original goal. And as I was talking to people and the, the people who wanted to perform, in the showcase, they were like, well, what about the impact that my assault has had on my mental health? They're like, what about like the intersection of these pieces? And it was really one of the first times that I like had thought in depth about the way that all of our identities intersect in each individual person. And that's really what makes us unique but also like what defines the things that we struggle with and the things that we go through and I pivoted my academic coursework um, originally I was focusing on neuroscience and I completely pivoted to gender race um, and just more social justice issues um, type of, of lens and Honestly, like that, like, it was almost like a light bulb and that it really completely changed my worldview. And it's why I'm so passionate about social issues that don't affect me because I recognize that I am privileged in many ways, but that I'm also marginalized in other ways. And it's, you can't pick those apart. And until every single one of my marginalized identities and other people's marginalized identities are 
not causing them strife in some way in their lives is like it, we're not going to get anywhere as a society as an equitable society and so that's really the the underpinning of how I ended up in public health because I've always been interested in healthcare. Um, I wanted to be a doctor when I was little. I went into biomedical engineering. I worked at Epic. Um, they make healthcare software. Um, but really, I was missing the like the social justice aspect of it. And when I sat down with a mentor of mine um, a few years after I started at Epic, she looked at me and she said, "Have you ever have you ever considered public health?" And I, I really hadn't. I hadn't even looked into the field. And when I started looking into it, it was, it was exactly what I just described. It was the, the culmination of social justice with health and human health. And not health care necessarily, but human health. Um, and at the end of the day, from my perspective... If you're worried about your health in some capacity, it's really hard to do anything else and to focus on anything else in your life. And so health is really at the core of your ability to live and lead a, a happy and fulfilling life. Because, um, like, if you've had health problems, you know, like, that's what you fo- fixate on. You focus on it. You have to, like, put that at the forefront because if you don't take care of yourself, then... You can't do all the other things you want to do. Um, and so that's really what, what led me to public health. Um, and so I decided to apply to grad school. And um, I, I got really lucky and, um, and uh, worked my ass off. <laughs> and, you know, I uh, ended up going to, to GW, which is where I am now. Um, which is why I left Kelly as much as she'll lament about. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm happy for you and sad for me. I, I will continue to say this. It's <laughs> fair. That's very fair. So um, my concentration in my master's degree is health promotion. Um, this is where we're going to circle back to that prevention piece. Um, and I think that public health in general is all about prevention. Like, the entire field is how do we change the current circumstances that people live in, either by modifying their behavior, by modifying policies, um, by modifying environments in order to improve health. And so like that's, it, it, it really comes full circle to that piece. And so Um, my area is, um, really in program planning. Um, and so kind of assessing what specific communities need and implementing, um, specific programs and, or like evaluating said programs to see how well they're working. Um, that said, I really love epidemiology as well. Um, so I mean, I'm taking, I'm taking coursework all across the board. And so, I don't, I don't feel limited. Um, But what Kelly was talking about with my Instagram account, um, I started that because I feel very passionately that everyone needs a basic, like, level of education about specific 
public health topics. And a lot of times there aren't easily accessible ways to get that information. Um, and like, even if, even if they were easily accessible, sometimes there's so much information that you don't even know where to start or how to digest it. And so it was really meant and when I started it as a way to create digestible chunks of information that are relevant. So like specifically with the backdrop of the pandemic of like, what does the word epidemic mean? What does the word pandemic mean? Like what, what do people mean when they're talking about vaccine efficacy? Um, and how does that differ from effectiveness? And like people don't know a lot of times and the media I know they try their best, but sometimes they make it worse because they use some of the terms interchangeably and they don't ever define them. Um, and so it just ends up with a lot of misinformation. And that's, I mean, really the the crux of it is misinformation is really, really harmful, um, especially in the field of public health when um, small actions can have really detrimental con- um, consequences. Um, so like vaccine hesitancy right now is it's it's a real problem Um, and it's because a lot of people don't have all of the information or don't know where to get all of the information or don't um, don't understand like don't understand it fully and so when you have folks who aren't um, trained like literally trained in this area interpreting data it's, it's really hard and it's really easy to get misconstrued really, really quickly. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I started my account. Um, and I also, um, work for a reproductive health clinic. Um, I am doing an evaluation. I alluded to evaluations earlier, but I'm doing an evaluation for, um, their, um, OB outcomes for their patients. Um, so it's been a lot of data collection, cleaning analysis type of things. Um, and then I also work as a research assistant. Um, and that work is really centered around, um, working with local health departments to help them, um, leverage cross-sector partnerships, um, and, dismantle um, systems in their community that perpetuate adversities across generations. And so all I have to say is I'm doing a lot of really different things. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because when people ask me, where do you see yourself in five years? Or like, where do you want to be? What kind of job do you want? Honestly, it it really goes to I care about the mission more than I care about the day-to-day what am I doing? Um if if an organization has a mission that I stand behind and I have the skills to help them, I I want to do that. Um and really my interests if you couldn't tell, well you might not have been able to tell one of them, but my my interests are in racial equity, queer health, and reproductive health. And um, the center that I work for is really, really um, the um, the health clinic that I work for is really, really, really awesome at 
combining the three of those um, to ensure that folks in their area are getting the best care possible um, with their reproductive health. And um, actually, just by chance today, one of my friends post made a post on Facebook and said, I went to the center today and got really fucking awesome care. Um, they were super inclusive. They're all about like gender inclusivity and racial inclusivity. And it was really cool to see someone separate from my work have gone into get care there and have such positive things to say. And like, that's the shit that I really care about. Yeah. Um, and I, I also want to point out how fucking awesome I think it is that, uh, you know, you had a, a good job, you know, you had a well-paying job, a, a job that had benefits and you really like switch directions and I think that takes a lot of courage and bravery and you know you uprooted your life and I I'm so proud of you like I said I'm always going to be proud of you and happy for you and still sad for me um (laughs) but I think I think that takes a lot of fucking fucking ovaries man um (laughs) (laughs) love that it also takes privilege have to acknowledge that too like I am very privileged that I was able to do that um, and actually go and pursue something that I'm really passionate about. So yes, took a lot of ovaries, but also took some privilege, um, a decent amount of privilege. So yeah. And I, I love how you talked about that, how like you, you can have privilege and still be in a marginalized group. And I think, you know, when we look at things, we, we can all kind of see that in ourselves where it's like, you know, I, like, I'm privileged because I'm white, and, like, I am educated, um, but, you know, I grew up poor, so it's, like, it's just, like, I think when we talk about privilege, for a while, it was very, like, accusatory, and it doesn't have to be that way. It's just recognizing of, like, oh, I have something that a lot of other people don't have, and, you know, how can I use what I do have to, to help advance other people? So I think I I liked that distinction that you made. Um, Yeah, it took me a while to like figure out in my own head how to frame that and how to communicate about that because I think I knew it inherently because, I mean, as you were just talking about, like, I I am white, I am a woman, I am Jewish, um, and it's it's one of those things where all of those pieces like come together. Like I am able-bodied to make me a whole person. And as you said, like, how do I use the privilege that I do have to like for good basically and not, um, not to add burden to other, other people. Yeah. And I think it's something that, you know, now that we're talking about it more, I think that there's still a lot of learning to do and a lot of course correcting. So I think that's that's what I always encourage people is to just be open, like be open to the conversation and like try to assume that people are doing their best and not just being dickheads. Um, and, you know, like we need to have the conversation, but if we're just constantly like automatically canceling people or just like calling them out, that's not really going to accomplish what we need to. Like, obviously there are people who do need to be canceled because they are problematic. Um, But I think having the conversation first and saying like, oh, hey, like, 
did you know when you say this this can have this impact or even just like coming at it from a personal point of being like oh hey I don't really respond well to when you say that like cool then you have the conversation and then it's in their hands to decide like oh am I going to keep doing this thing that they have said they don't like or am I going to think about this more clearly um, and, and and change the way that I interact with this person um, which I think is is a reasonable thing to do and if that person doesn't change then it becomes a bigger issue. Then you, you know, you know that you can't play ball um, is really what it comes down to. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot of grace to be had. Um, another thing that I want to, that I want to ask you about, um, and I don't expect you to have like the right answer. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you, that you touched on was um, uh, not, not equality. Um, equity. Thank you. Yes. Gosh, I'm like putting an L in there. Um, but that I feel like is another hard thing to kind of navigate because we're just starting, a lot of us are just starting to realize the um, the structures that have been put in place that are systemic systemically racial. Um, and so how how do you kind of navigate the conversation of, you know, somebody might look at something and say, um oh well this isn't this isn't fair because why are they getting it and why am i not because when i think about like looking at things from a community perspective different communities need different things so the needs of a community in alaska are going to be much different than one in tennessee so how do you how do you navigate those conversations have you run into those or maybe what tips would you give to people who are finding themselves in these conversations Dang, you're asking the hard questions. Um, yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't expect you to have the right answers, <laughs> yeah. but I think it's something it's something that's curious to me because you know when we think about fairness, we think about everybody getting the same thing, and right. I don't think that's always the right answer. And you know no. what I kind of think about is, you know, if we give every kid a bicycle, there are going to be some kids who can't operate the bicycle, where you know maybe it's not fit to their height, or maybe they. Uh, are in a wheelchair and are not able to use a standard bicycle. So we run into issues like that um, where it doesn't make sense to to give everybody the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I think what you just described is a good way to, a good way to frame it. But I guess if you are looking at what you were just talking about, about different communities needing different things is what we do in public health is we point to the data. Um, you will like, over and over and over again, like we love our epidemiologist friends because we we need data, um, and it's because public health is ultimately a a, a science driven field. Um, at like we see this with like vaccine development and like de- dissemination techniques and and all of that, um, and some of it might be more social science based, but at the end of the day, it's evidence based, um, and so. When we are working with communities who might have different populations that have different needs, we need to point to, like, what are the outcomes that we are looking to fix? And you kind of work backwards and um, look. So, like, what I do, what we do um, at work is 
identify specific outcomes and um, indicators that show which people um, or groups um, are disproportionately affected by certain things. And then you kind of follow, you follow the trail to see what you were just talking about, about those structural pieces that are in place that are driving those outcomes. Um, And when people question it, like, that's when you point to the data and you say like, okay, well, these people in this zip code are, are worse off and like here are their health indicators. They have, let's say, higher obesity rates because they live in a food swamp. Um, for those listening who don't know what a food swamp is, it means that um, there are a lot more fast food restaurants, um, but not as many like grocery stores with healthy options. Um and so, like, those types of things, you point, you can point to the outcome, but then also drive upstream of, okay, like, it's because of the built environment that all of these pieces exist. What, it, is there something driving upstream, like a zoning law or something of that nature? Um, or is it because there's not an incentive for the grocery stores to build a grocery store there? And so you can see how it's like this entangled web of, of pieces to look at. And that doesn't happen in a vacuum either, because now all of a sudden, maybe you're looking at, okay, and the landlords aren't fixing the apartments in that area. And there's not a lot of green space. So we're not planting trees there. And, and like you start piling and, 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 and then when you zoom out, you're now getting a community that is disproportionately impacted by all of these factors. They're maybe more likely to be, um, in poverty or in, in an Alice status, which means that they are not technically under the federal poverty level, but they don't make enough money to actually survive, Um, and so that's what, that's what we use. We use these indicators, we use outcomes, we use data, um, to communicate because you're right. If you're looking at everybody gets X, it's not fair, but if I gave somebody who makes a hundred thousand dollars and they are one person who doesn't have a family and I give them an extra $500 a month. That's probably not going to make or break them. Um, but someone who is living paycheck to paycheck, who can barely afford to pay their rent, and that $500 can go towards a health bill, like, you're now you're now talking about, like, a meaningful difference. Um, I actually saw a really good uh, analogy of this, too. And they were talking about a wrench and the base of the wrench is like signifying of like, you're at the poverty line. You can't actually use this wrench if it doesn't have a handle. And then it goes a little bit further. And I forget what the the dollar amounts they used were, but it basically signifies that at a certain point that wrench is usable and you don't need the handle to be any longer. Um, but like bef- like before that point it might not be a usable tool and i think that that is a good way to illustrate what i was just talking about of how you need a certain amount to survive 
And after that point, extra cash might improve some aspect of your living, but it's not going to really make a meaningful difference in your life um, when it comes to like survival and being able to put food on the table and all of those pieces that are truly necessary to survive. So, yeah, it's very much like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like you have your basic needs that you need to take care of, you know, food, shelter, that kind of thing. And then you, you can gradually increase from there. Um, right to to being more worried about your your health and your emotional state and and things like that and and your fulfillment um, yeah so uh i i have so many questions for you i'm going to limit myself to two more um <laughs> and uh i've already said i'm bringing you back like you're just going to be like <laughs> a staple of the empowered authenticity podcast well I'm uh, be- <laughs> <laughs> because you know so you are uh so knowledgeable on this topic and I find that you educate me a lot of times and um I appreciate that I I like having friends that make me question things and that I learn from so I appreciate that about you so really Kelly just wants her own personal lecture um whenever she has me on the podcast that's what I'm hearing I mean it's fine I give you free coaching so <laughs> <laughs> This is what friends do. <laughs> I'm not blackmailing you. You can you can deny anytime you don't want to come on. But usually you do because you just always sign off on my fuckery. Um, <laughs> but uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask was uh, in regards to misinformation. Because there is a fuck ton of misinformation out there. I mean, even just an, as, as an example, you know, we've got some people saying, oh, I'm not I'm not taking this vaccine or that vaccine because it has formaldehyde in it. But when we look at it, we're like, well, our body makes small amounts of formaldehyde just naturally. And when we look at the vaccine, it has even, you know, less than what our body naturally produces. So like that changes the perspective. Um, so I'm one I'm wondering, how do you combat that misinformation? Because it's it's hard, I feel like, and I, I don't mean to sound critical, um, but it seems like for a lot of people, their local public health department is not their first line of defense. So how are you combating that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's really what, um, that's why I was driven to infographics, because infographics are they tend to be aesthetically pleasing um to some degree depends on how how artsy you get um i like to think mine are fairly aesthetically pleasing um oh thank you um (laughs) i would tell you if they look like garbage okay great um so and i think that they are just a helpful tool to break things down into snippets um, and this is what I do and a lot of other like public health accounts that I interact with do as well is they take like these big topics and they just kind of break it down. Um, I don't, I haven't personally been reacting to misinformation on social media on my public health account. However, I follow many accounts that do, um, And, I mean, 
it's it's really about what you were just saying of like putting things into perspective. And so when we were talking when we were talking about the the J and J vaccine pause that happened in in March, I think it was. I think so. It was March or April. Um, it it everyone was kind of up in arms about the um, amount, but when you actually look at those risks compared to say taking birth control. Um, it's actually riskier to take birth control, but you don't see everyone up in arms about women taking birth control. And so it's really just about letting people know what the risks are, but also putting it in perspective of helping them understand because like people don't really understand the concept of like what's one in a million. Um, I don't understand the concept of what's one in a million. Like I, I just, I don't know um, because I've never counted a million of anything. So being able to draw comparisons can be sometimes dangerous, um, as you can probably imagine, but it's sometimes helpful to put it in perspective of, hey, there's this thing you do every day and it puts you at higher risk than getting this vaccine. Um, And it's also about looking at the risks of the alternative. So especially when we're talking about vaccines, we're talking about preventing a disease. Um, And so we need to look at like, what is the benefit of receiving the vaccine versus like if you contracted the disease itself. Um, And so I think all of those things kind of come together. And when it comes to I think a lot of people, when they try to approach situations of misinformation, especially in the very politically charged atmosphere that we have right now, their first instinct is to attack the person, um, be condescending, say things like you're you're being stupid or, or things like that. And that's not OK. I just like asking for folks at, at home to. Think about a time when someone said, hey, you're so, like, you're stupid. Like, why would you think this? X, Y, and Z. Did that, did that make you want to listen to whatever else they said? Did that make you, did that make you feel like you were open to having the conversation about your thought process versus their thought process? I'm a, I'm a guess no. Um, You're just completely shut down. Right. And so the way that I think we all need to approach misinformation, because there's, I have zero doubts that I've consumed misinformation and have not realized that it was misinformation. And that's coming from someone who is very skeptical of everything she reads. Um, And so for people who aren't that skeptical, like I can, I I can imagine. um, And I'm not, it's not judgment because it takes a lot of brain power to be skeptical about everything. And honestly, it's exhausting sometimes. Um, like, very exhausting. And so um, I try to approach misinformation with trying to understand where that person is coming from. Like, what their understanding is. 
Um, and this is from a personal perspective. Obviously, you can't just make an Instagram post and find out, like, what someone's perspective is. But um, I, I really, I really do aspire to do that and hopefully get to the crux of, like, what is it that they believe and what are the facts? And I don't always know the facts. Um, and so, but I usually know how especially in like public health land, I usually know how to find them. Um, and that's really the way it is. And sometimes it's not just one conversation. That's the other thing is like, if you are talking with someone and it's getting really heated, it's not gonna, it's not gonna go anywhere. You're not gonna, neither of you are gonna disprove the other because both of you are so in the thick of it that you're not going to take a step back and be like, Oh, maybe, maybe Kelly is right. Like, no, if you're heated, you're going to be like, no, I'm right. Kelly's wrong. I'm going to prove it. And like, it's just going to get worse. And so combating misinformation takes patience and time and empathy. Um, and it's not easy and it's not going to be easy. Um, but that is my long winded answer to how I combat misinformation or I think it's, I think you said it very well. I also think that like, I should, I should mention, um, this is an idealistic approach and I am not like by no stretch of the imagination. Is that how I handle things all the time? I am a human. I make mistakes. Like I fuck up all the time. Um, so all that to say, like, that is the ideal way to approach it, but we're all going to fuck up sometimes. Yeah, I think that's really important to note. Um, okay, this is my final question, I promise. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, thinking about all the all the misinformation that's out there, I find that a lot of a lot of it comes from the Internet and and social media. I find that um, misinformation can spread like wildfire on social media. Um, and I know, you know, as you've been talking, it sounds like you're doing kind of your own like, um, you know, your own personal, I don't want to say warfare, uh, defense, maybe. <laughs> um, I, I'll think of a better word later. But do you do you foresee that a lot of um, public health agencies are going to be shifting more towards social media and using the same kind of method or because I feel like um you know I worked in a WIC clinic and we never used social media which I think would have been really helpful for a lot of folks um and I feel like it was very hard to get information to the people who needed it the most um so I'm wondering what what methods are in place, um, if, if you know of any, um, that are are going to be used. Yeah, I mean that's a great question. I don't know that I'm super well positioned to answer it from like a a local health department perspective. I do know a lot of local health departments do have social media accounts like a lot of them do have instagrams um but do you follow your local health department's instagram i do but that's because (laughs) of my background (laughs) 
I'm gonna guess that there, a lot of okay, people so do not. Example. Um, but if you look, so if you looked up like the Dane County Health Department, like how many followers do they have? Do you know, like approximately offhand? I can I can look right now. My guess is that it's not nearly as many people as as live in Dane County, and so I think that social media is a good tool, um, but. It's not, as you just said, like, a lot of people aren't going to be following, um, aren't necessarily going to be following them, or it's not the right tool to reach the people who need it. And so, I know other mechanisms are um, utilizing, like, the, usually the government, um, like, the local government webpage is, like, intertwined with the public health department because it is part of the government and so they use like tools that like the government also uses um as like public service announcements and things but you can imagine if someone lives somewhere without internet or um they don't have a tv or they don't ever watch the news or they don't seek out the information it is really hard to get to those people um and so it's another yet another reason why misinformation spreads. Um, I remember earlier this year, I was in like Southwestern Virginia um, in like a small town. And I had overheard these people talking about how um, they like weren't sure about like how many, it was, it was an innocuous um, piece of information, misinformation, which was maybe a, uh, I, I don't know if I, I may backpedal. I don't know if it was innocuous, but they were talking about like how many doses each of the approved vaccines required. And so like it wasn't, they weren't spreading a lot of like horror stories about vaccine side effects. Um, they just were talking about like whether the J&J was one or two doses and they were like, oh, I think it's two. And I was like, no, it's not. Um <laughs> I honestly thought about going over there and, and telling them that it wasn't, but also I was not vaccinated yet and didn't really want to get too close to people I didn't know, which is another thing. But, um, like, things like that of, like, I don't I don't know, like, what their background is, like, what social media sources they were looking at or anything else, but I do know that it's everywhere. <laughs> and... I think it's going to be really challenging for public health departments to combat it, especially if people who have millions of followers across the United States, across the world, are tweeting or posting or um, any anything else, like, lies about health issues. Um, and it's actually really, it's going to be a really interesting challenge, um, for like my generation of public health professionals, because we are going to basically need to fight to be heard and to be believed. Um, and it, that sucks because as I said, we point to data, we look to evidence. And so the fact that we are the ones who have to fight to be believed is a little bit disheartening. Um, but that's 
that's kind of where we are right now in the land of I can make a cute infographic about anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, it's it's going to be an uphill battle for sure. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of what happens with misinformation is it's like the telephone game, you know, where you start off saying like Joe rides a bicycle and by the end you're like Sally wears a hat. Like, so it just like it small changes misconstrues the message. Um, And I feel like that's what makes it difficult for a lot of people. Um, is that they're reading something that they maybe don't fully understand and then they almost reproduce it um, but because they don't fully understand it they're using the wrong terminology and really changing the message Um, and then we can see this continue on down the line so I feel like that's um, part of it and then the other part that's concerning is that there's so much mistrust from our government Um, and I think some of that is is rightfully so um but it's a matter of like how do we how do we regain trust from individuals um you know when you are looking at hard evidence and so i think um yeah i think it is a really interesting time and um i i don't envy you uh but i know that if anybody uh is up for the job and can make a difference it's you thank um, you me and all my classmates we're all we're all going to have our work cut out for us you're gonna do great um I don't know them so I can't speak to their abilities um but I know you and I know that you're going to do a fantastic job in anything you do so um uh so if you wouldn't mind give a shout out uh to your Instagram account um so it's at pub h explained so it's like a shortened version of public health if that helps you remember it but it's just p-u-b-h explained um and yeah, that's the that's the handle. No Twitter account up and running. I haven't decided if I'm gonna delve into Twitter. That sounds scary. Yeah, I use Twitter for my uh, burlesque endeavors, uh, but I don't have one for empowered authenticity. I don't know. Maybe the fans would like it, but quite frankly, I am not that good at Twitter. I feel like <laughs> like it took me a while to get a grasp on Instagram. So, am I really a millennial? I don't know. Two influencers that I love despise Twitter and refuse to go on it. And I kind of trust them enough to... That just makes me not want to go on Twitter. The problem that I have with Twitter... Sorry, the problem that I have with Instagram is that they are um, very much against sex work. And um, there are definitely some double standards when it comes to people in bigger bodies versus in thinner bodies. Um, So that's why a lot of people who are in any any facet of the sex work industry uh, gravitate towards Twitter. And that's why I do as well. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. It is. um, Because at any given time, you know, my Instagram account can be deleted because I post a pole dancing video, you know. Um, but, uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's a (laughs) conversation for another day. Uh, thank you for joining me for being my first guest. I literally, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be doing any of this without you. Um, I appreciate you so much and I love you and I couldn't ask for a better soulmate to have walked in late to my aquafit class. (laughs) 
it's fine. Kelly's just making me cry on her podcast. It's okay, everybody. Uh, yes, <laughs> Thank you for I... having me. I I am truly honored to be your your first podcast guest, and excited for all of all of the future iterations that I will apparently be a part of whenever you invite me. <laughs> I'll just show up every week. <laughs> You're, you'll be uh, the other unofficial co-host. <laughs> See, there is a we. <laughs> uh, yes, but you're definitely going to be back. Uh, I have no doubt about that because I have so many more questions. Um, but, you know, we every Monday we have our, our date. And, um, you know, I don't want to cut into that anymore so that we can get down to the nitty gritty stuff that we can't share with everybody else. Yeah, sorry, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> We're not uh, that sorry. but thank you so much i love you love you thank you for listening to empowered authenticity the podcast please make sure you rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if you like more content from empowered authenticity make sure to follow on instagram at empowered underscore authenticity we'll see you next week If you or someone you know is an angsty feminist like me, and they literally want to wear their feminism on their sleeve, then you have got to check out Feminist Trash Store. Feminist Trash is founded on the belief that intersectional feminism and sustainability go hand in hand. They specialize in size-inclusive unisex apparel with hand-lettered designs by artist and founder Joanna. Each t-shirt is printed with biodegradable water-based ink and carefully made to order to minimize waste and ethically reduce any environmental impact. Their eco-friendly and 100% vegan t-shirts are designed to embody the meaningful conversations feminists are having in pursuit of a more empathetic and inclusive future. They want people expressing themselves in the ways that feel most sincere to them, without the perpetual silencing of preconceived racial stereotypes, sexual rigidity, and body shaming. Feminist Trash is committed to increased visibility for intersectional feminism. They're leveraging the power of community and sustainable fashion practices to mobilize a growing platform of diverse voices of intersectional feminist artists and independent feminist media creators from around the world. At Feminist Trash, they are committed to feminism that centers intersectionality, mutual aid, and actively pushes back against patriarchal, white supremacist oppression. That's why they've created Mutual Aid Mondays, where every Monday their profits will be distributed to a different mutual aid or community organization that upholds feminist, anti-racist, and queer inclusionary foundations. They source products and fabrics from ethical brands and suppliers who comply to labor, environmental, and safety standards. Go to feministtrash.com and enter code KellyShopa, that's K-E-L-L-Y-S-H-O-P-P-A, at checkout to receive 20% off your order and start wearing your feminism on your sleeve.